Welcome, everybody, to Coming Home with John Allen. This is a segment called Coming Home Commentary. All right, as promised, here I am with some Coming Home Commentary, some solutions to teenage crime in Norway. I told you previously about the Norwegian debate program. It's called Debatten in Norwegian. That translates to the debate in English. And on that program, a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about the issue, the rather alarming issue of teenage crime in Norway. Uh, Several participants came with some comments, some thoughts about what the current situation with teenage crime is here in Norway. A few days ago on Debatten, they had some new debate participants, and they talked, or they were supposed to talk about Solutions. There was a little bit of talk about solutions, but as promised, I'm going to give a quick overview of what they said, and I'm going to come with what I think are some possible solutions. Okay, very briefly, let me tell you about some of the participants and what they had to say. First up, we have Un Alma Skottvold. She is the leader in the Politiets Fellesforbund. That translates to the police union, basically. Uh, In Norway, the police are nationalized. It's almost like the FBI. It's one police force that covers the entire nation. Miss Scottfold was talking about how it is critical, critical, not something to worry about, but something to actually do here and now. It's critical that they get on top of this problem with teenage crime. She referred several times to the situation across the border into the country of Sweden, where many people will say that it's out of control. And in Alma Scottfold was talking about how We are in the beginning stages of seeing that here in Norway. I like that she was not an alarmist in her discussion and what she had to say about the current situation, because a lot of people here in Norway, well, you know, they call it a condition of war. Kriegstilstand is what they say in Norwegian. That translates to a wartime condition. I think that is quite alarmist. Um, You need the army here in Norway to handle a a wartime situation. You don't need the army to handle teenage crime. I'll get more into that when I come to some details. She talked about how as, and this was very interesting as well, she talked about how as Sweden concentrates on teen crime and organized gang crime, these gang leaders, these, these participants, these teenagers, and the people who run them, the adults who run them, are going to look for a new playground, so to speak. In other words, as it gets tougher in Sweden, they're going to look for other countries, neighboring countries, where it may be easier to run their criminal network. Where would they go? Easiest place to go? Norway. It's very interesting that Un Scottfold, the leader for the police union, she's a quite a vocal person, uh, as she should be. It's very interesting that she talked about what is coming if nothing of substance is done now. We also have a lady by the name of Emilia Enger Mel. She's the head of the Norwegian Department of Justice. So we're talking about a government figure. First, we had a police union representative. Now we're talking about a 
government representative, head of the Norwegian Department of Justice. Um, she's a member of the Center Partia or the Center Party, political party. And she's talking about how Norway is nowhere close. So this is in a slight contradiction to um, what the police union representative said. Amelia Engemel says that there is um, not so much to be concerned because Norway is not even close to the level of Sweden's teenage crime. But things must be done. Uh, things must be done to, to, to keep it from getting to that Swedish level. We also have the infamous Sylvie Lysthaug. She is the leader of what the, what's called Fremskits Partia. It's, I guess you could call it the far right wing political party of Norway. And she pointed out how there are over 400 police positions that are not present. They've been taken out of the number of police positions in different districts all over the country. 400 police positions have been taken away. She points out how that is at the very least interesting, at the worst catastrophic, when we think of the rising amount of teenage crime, the rising amount of organized teenage crime, gang crime here in Norway, and yet they are taking away police positions. 400, says Sylvie Lysterk. I did not double-check that number. I'm going to take her word for it. Uh, that number came up quite often, and none of the other debate participants on the program debated that. I think everyone accepted that 400 is an accurate number. During the debate, the program leader of Debatten said that if those 400 police positions were to be recruited for and those police candidates would be trained, it would cost three billion, with a B, kroner, Norwegian crowns, just uh, divide by 10. Three billion, um, what is that? Three hundred million dollars. So there's a price tag on that, according to Sylvie Listerg. And, and she's right. I don't agree with hardly anything that she says or does politically, but she is correct in that rather alarming number when we're talking about the budget, what it would take to get the number of police out there that uh, Norway seems to need. We also have a gentleman by the name of Jarl Dukic Sandvin. He is the leader of child development in the Grorud neighborhood in Oslo. He talked about how a focus on after-school activities and child services among children who are kind of in the danger zone of landing in a criminal environment or gang environment. He talked about how uh, preventive work uh, is the way to go. He is talking about, he was also talking about how more opportunity for these kids and less focus on punishment has worked in the Grodud neighborhood. And also, very interesting take. It's uh, some people would call that a soft handed approach, according to Yarla uh, and the statistics that he can quote soft handed, okay, but effective. If a soft hand takes these teenagers out of a criminal element, a criminal environment, and puts them on a different path. Soft-handed may be the way to go. And we also have uh, Hadia Tajik. She is a uh, politician on the left side of Norwegian politics. And I think this was also very interesting. She talked about how they should go after the profits of these criminal gangs, these teenage gangs and the adults behind them. Go after their profits. And I quote, um, well, I don't want to quote because it's, it was in Norwegian, so I'll paraphrase in English. She said that gang leaders without money 
will not be gang leaders for very long. So that was a very, very interesting take from Hadia Tajik. We also have a gentleman. He's a uh, local social worker in the Morton Street neighborhood in Oslo. His name is Mudassar Mehmud. A uh, very interesting gentleman, as I say, doing uh, social work for te- uh, among teenagers. And he talked about how discrimination and outright racism very often closes doors. You can call it blinders for these young teenagers. If, if they see a certain degree of racism and being de facto closed out of the greater Oslo society or the greater Norwegian society, it's going to, those blinders are going to put their eyes in the direction of crime, gangs. They're looking for something to identify with, and gangs fill that hole. When they're ostracized, closed out of the Norwegian society through racism and a lack of opportunity, that's what happens. We see the same thing in the United States. So I challenge anyone to speak against what Mudassar Mehmud says. Here's the last participant. Charlotte Ritz is her name. She's a professor at the Regional Center for Child Care. And she stated that there are effective, get this, there are effective programs that can help young teenagers to keep them out of a criminal element. Plenty of effective programs. They have the numbers to prove it, but they also have the numbers to show that local governments, regional governments, and the national government are not using these programs. They are not taking these kids that they know are in a bad element and directing them and their families and parents to these social programs. That is quite interesting. I call upon all people in political power here in Norway, political power, social influence, leaders of neighborhood groups. I call on them to do something about that. Uh, we'll, We'll get to that. We're going to talk about solutions in a minute. So this is the situation. Uh, as these these different participants in the debate have have outlined now there's there's a little bit more let me just share my observation norwegian decision makers and politicians and to a certain degree parents here in norway they are treating these 14 year old kids as if they're made out of glass and meanwhile these 14 year olds these teenagers these children 14 and 15-year-olds, and I say 14-year-olds because they were talking about how 14-year-olds are actually more involved in crime than 18-year-olds. That's a fascinating number. But they're treating these 14-year-olds like they're made out of glass. You know, be careful with them. You don't want to break them. And meanwhile, these 14-year-olds are sharpening their glass knives, their glass daggers, and they are cutting and bleeding the Norwegian society. Again, other people use this condition of war phrase. I don't want to use that, but a small drop of blood can lead to a river of it if things are not gotten under control. Heal the wound. Heal the wound before it becomes infected, before it becomes a plague that is contagious to other people, other neighborhoods. In other words, I don't feel that this, again, they they say it's a condition of war. I think it is far from it. I think it is quite quite easily handled. We'll get to that in a second. The numbers I wanted to come up with, and here's, here's an important point for the racists out there. The numbers that were quoted during that debate program here in Norway, 83% of teenage crime is committed by children. 83% of teen crime is committed by children that are born in Norway. 
So let's just let that sit there. 83% committed by kids that are born in, in Norway. But with full disclosure, I have to say the background of these teens that are getting involved in crime, the background is overwhelmingly either immigrant or children of immigrants. But still, most of them are born here in Norway, 83%. To give some further numbers in, in full disclosure, I guess I was kind of teasing, provoking the racists out there by saying 83% of these teens are born in Norway. But to, to read up some numbers here in my notes, 50% of these teens that are committing crime in Norway are from Africa. 50% from Africa. Doesn't say sub-Saharan or, or Northern Africa. It doesn't say, it just says Africa. 35% of these teenagers that are committing crimes are from Asia. 7% from the European Union. 5% European outside of the European Union, because not all countries in Europe are from the European Union. I want to say that for our uh, less knowledgeable Americans about all things European. 5% European outside of the EU and 3% from America. My kids are not among them. To illustrate this, I'm just trying to get my thoughts about how I want to present this because I don't want to make it sound like there's not a problem here in Norway because there is a problem in Norway, but I feel that the problem can be handled. There is a study from, that, that they had from 2015 to 2018 titled Risk and Context of Life. Now I'm translating that from the Norwegian study. And that study states that there are only 341 active juvenile criminals in Oslo. That's a city of more than half a million. I don't know the exact size, but it's more than half a million. And there's only 341 juvenile or teenage criminals in Oslo. Is that a problem that cannot be handled? Is that a warlike condition for Oslo? Now, these, three, these 341 kids can cause a lot of trouble. They can raise a ruckus. But I would hardly say that that is not something that cannot be handled. That is not a war-like situation. It just isn't. It's 341 teenagers, most of whom are 14 years old, 14, around 14 years old. We can fix that. You, Norway, you can fix that. 341 kids. Now, that's the situation. Let me talk about the solution. My solution, if they were to hire me as a consultant, uh, hello, if they were to hire me in as a consultant, I would fix the money. I would fix the money. Pay for a better situation for our children here in Norway. Now, what do I mean by that? Put some money into after-school programs and put some money towards making the proper social and political instances and individuals aware of these, these social programs. Because again, most of these social programs that are available are not being used. I said that a few minutes ago. So put some money towards a campaign. Why are there not TV and radio and social media commercials that are paid for by uh, the Department of Child Care here in Norway to make everyday citizens, politicians, local leaders aware of these programs. Put some money into it. Pay for a better day for our children. You can use that, use that slogan. I'll give it to you. Pay for a better day for our children. 
I don't think that'll rhyme in the, I know it won't rhyme in the Norwegian translation, but you guys get the gist. Put some money into this to both build up the programs and make the right people aware of these programs. So fix the money. Talk to me or someone like Mehmud from Mortensrud. We, we have boots on the ground. I work, that's, that's the kind of work I did back home in the States. That's the kind of work to a certain degree that I do here. Talk to me. Talk to people like Mehmud. Mehmud obviously is not an ethnic Norwegian from the sound of his name. I'm not sure where he's from. Uh, he's a brown-skinned gentleman. Uh, he's got his feet on the ground in Mortensrud. Talk to him. Talk to people like him, people like me. What am I talking about? Immigrants, as I said before. Immigrants overwhelmingly are represented in these numbers of teens. They're not all immigrants, but most of them overwhelmingly are. So talk to people like us. Kind of towards fixing the money is also fixing the police. If there are 400 police academy graduates who don't have a job, because that was also said, not only were 400 positions taken away, but 400 police academy graduates within the last two years do not have a job in the Norwegian police. What are they doing? They're either unemployed or they're doing things like a kindergarten uh, assistant teacher or they're working in uh, psychiatry as uh, as an environmental assistant in psychiatry, things like that. Uh, some of them are plumbers. Some of them are driving trucks, but they're not working in the police. Now, let me just cut this off because I'm not advocating for over-policing Norway. That is what is happening in some areas of Oslo. Uh, I don't live there, but I hear the stories. I see, I watch the news. There's some areas of Norway, uh, of, of Oslo especially, that are over-policed. There's definitely cities, towns, and neighborhoods in America that are over-policed. I'm not advocating that. But I do know that... For example, in uh, an area in Norway, not too far from here, it's called Rumerik. It's a little region, and there are only four police positions that are allocated towards prevention or handling of teenage crime and other issues that have to do with teens. Four officers, that's it. That's it. In the old neighborhood, the old town where I worked 20 years ago, and this is 20 years ago, back in the States. It was a town of about 25, 26,000, and we had eight, nine detectives that were trained as juvenile officers. Come on, Norway, get with the times and get it right. Again, I'm not advocating for over-policing, but I'm advocating, what I'm advocating for is the proper policing, the proper police support, because that's what these children need who are getting into teenage crime. They need support. So fix the money and fix the police. Another interesting number in my district where I live, Buskerud, it's called. Teen crime is up 25.5%, but there are now 20 fewer police officers than there were two years ago. So that illustrates the need of fixing the police, okay? My next solution, fix the money, fix the police. They need to address the fact that immigrant children here in Norway and children of immigrants here in Norway are overrepresented in teenage crime numbers. That kind of goes along with what I was saying with talk to people like me, talk to people like Mehmet, uh, talk to brown skin men and women, go into these neighborhoods and talk to the people and ask them what they need. Ask them what they need. Now, 
so far, my solutions are kind of pointing at the faults of politicians, uh, the police system, and whatnot. And people are probably saying, well, he's probably not going to talk about parental responsibility or, or individual responsibility. Well, I'm here to surprise you. Yes, I am. I'm going to talk about that because I believe that that is actually the key to fixing this teenage crime problem in Norway before it gets to the level of teenage crime in Sweden. Okay, I have a little proposal for you guys. What if there was more parental and neighborhood involvement? What if there was a men's group? Now, I'm thinking of Chicago. I lived in the Chicago suburbs for a while. And I'm thinking of Chicago, and this is something that nobody, especially on the political right in the United States, wants to talk about. But there are men's groups who go out in the streets and actively mentor young men. Hey, you kids, what are you, what are you doing over there? Come here, let me talk to y'all, you know, things like that. What if there were men's groups who actually did that in a, to a large degree? Because there may be some, but I never see any talk about it on the news. I never see any talk about it on social media. But what if these men's groups were actually out there in the streets actively mentoring young kids, especially these boys? It's mostly boys who are committing these crimes. What if they were to get out there and mentor them actively in the streets? It works. Lives get saved when you do that. You know, follow in the footsteps of, of Chicago, of these black neighborhoods in the States. Yeah, let, let's do that. Instead of these kids here in Norway doing something that I see all the time, trying to act like they, they haven't seen any parts of the hood, but they want to walk around and emulate black gangsters in these gang environments in the United States. Okay, fine. But how about some of these adults here in Norway emulate these black parents who are actually getting involved and getting in the streets? To, to actively mentor their children. Let's do some of that here in Norway. Now, it's difficult to organize on a local level. It shouldn't be, but it is. But all it would take is one person who lives in that neighborhood to, uh, I don't know, let's give an example, make up, um, you know, print up a couple hundred pamphlets, walk around, uh, let's say print up 50 pamphlets and walk around to anywhere between 20 and 50 houses in your immediate neighborhood. If, you, if you're having these troubles with gang activity, teenage crime, walk around to, to 20, 25 houses and give them a pamphlet that gives a date and time at a local meeting place and a very brief rundown and outline of what you guys are going to talk about as far as solutions. And you have this local meeting, and when you have this meeting, you also invite the police, and you also invite at least one politician, one in the ruling party and one in an opposition party, two, let's say two politicians, opposing party and ruling party. Get them to this meeting as well, and you talk about what you see, and you talk about what you need in order to fix this problem. And then, hopefully, the police will do something. The police will have, they'll set up a task force, and it won't take a lot of police to do this, because again, we don't want to over-police, but we just want police support and police visibility, because that visibility is a deterrent to teenage crime, if that visibility is practiced properly. But you bring in two officers on foot, 
from say um, ten in the morning, say say two in the afternoon until ten at night, and then you have a patrol car with two officers that comes in from say eight in the evening until six o'clock in the morning. That's it. Four officers. And in conjunction with, or, you know, in the aftermath of this, this, this community meeting and, and meanwhile, the community is putting things in place to actually fix this problem or start to fix it. You have this police presence and now you have to choose wisely because you don't want some run and gun uh, club, club them in the head cops. You don't want that. You want preferably younger cops that don't have blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm talking about sons, daughters of immigrants who are police officers here, who have a connection to a certain degree to these environments, these, these, uh, these neighborhoods. And you put them on this task force. We're talking four officers. And you start communicating with the parents. You start communicating with the children. Do you know how effective that would be? I'm going to tell a little story. I don't put my kids' personal business out there, but I'm going to this time. I am uh, good friends. I'm a songwriting partner with uh, a gentleman who has a songwriting project of his own, but he's also my daughter's, or was my daughter's music teacher. So he was over here at my house one day when I first met him, and we were talking about a project, and my daughter walked in, and she about lost her mind. She was so, she just, I, I watched her spirit just fall out of her, seeing one of her teachers sitting in my living room talking with me. And her first assumption was that, oh my gosh, I must be in trouble. Okay. Now let's flip that a little bit. And it's a parent sitting in the living room talking with one of these task force officers and their child who may or may not be in this criminal element or to a certain degree on their way into this criminal element. And they see that cop there. Let's take it all. Let's also expand this a little bit in conjunction with this police task force. Let's make a civilian task force for people from the department of child services here in Norway are also in on this program. It doesn't even have to be a cop sitting there, but if it's one of these child service uh, uh, functionaries sitting in the living room, in other words, being visible, that's that visibility thing. Don't be visible as a punisher. Be visible as an actual part of the neighborhood, whether it's a police officer on the task force or a, a, a civilian child care or social worker on this task force. But be in the homes, talking with the parents, talking with the kids, taking away that element of animosity and fear and replacing it with an element of cooperation an element of concern, an element of listening to what these local people need. So there's, there's where I believe that the heaviest responsibility is. It's on the neighborhood. It's on the families. It's on the individuals. Because if you guys were to do this and, and, and organize and have a meeting and then actually invite the police and invite child services, how could they say no to that? Well, the answer to that is they could just say no. But how could they say no to that and not shine a light on the reality of the situation? Because if they say no to that, if the police and child services and politicians say no to coming to a meeting like that and actually being involved in a meeting like that, if they say no to that, 
Yeah. So that's the main thrust of my solution is activization of the local element, the household element. Do that now so that you don't have a situation like Sweden has in five years. Do that now so you don't have a situation like they have back home in big cities in the States within 10 years. Because that is what is going to happen if, if the proper steps are not taken now. Proper social service support, proper police support, most importantly, proper home support. Okay? There it is. Those are my solutions. Now, you got that for free. <laughs> you, got, you got that for free. If you are living here in Norway and you watch this episode, share it with a politician who you may or may not know. You don't have to know them to share something like this. Share this episode with a policeman if you know them. Share this episode with a local activist if you know them. Take that idea of organizing on a local level and then inviting the police and child services and asking them to set up a very, very cheap task force. Task force can sound like, oh my gosh, that's going to cost too much. Task force? Who are we bringing in? The FBI? You know, I'm talking about four police officers, four social workers, and an entire community. Okay, there you go. Put the word out there. Share this. Let me know what you think. Comment. Uh, like, subscribe, and share, and let's spread the word about this and other subjects that I talk about on my show, Coming Home with John Allen, and in these segments called Coming Home Commentary. Go to my website at johnallenpod.com, J-O-H-N-A-L-A-N-P-O-D.com. There's a contact form if you want to write to me, and you'll also find my ebook there. Get on that ebook. I think you'll like it. That's the best thing you can do to support the work that I do. The ebook costs $5 a month and it's an ongoing thing. As I write, I submit these chapters for you people to listen to. It's me reading them. And that's the best thing you can do to support the work that I do. And if you do that, I appreciate you. I already appreciate you just for watching, just for listening. I'll appreciate you to the end of time if you support my work. Thank you so much. Go out there, love and be loved and enjoy the process. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.